it wasn't hard like, oh, he sent me to go get cheesecake, <laughs> you know, like they did on the he's he's not he's not that in real life. It's more like I, proverbial cheesecake. Right. right? Okay. <laughs> what he does is he tasks you with making the impossible happen. And when you create these amazing things that didn't exist prior to that, and now it does because of your hard work, because of your ingenuity, because of your innovation and your tenacity, it's so rewarding that it's almost like a drug. It makes you want to do it again because you start to understand your magic and your power. Hey, hey, I'm Michelle Wasu, and this is the Success After 30 podcast. In this series, we'll challenge society's myth of achieving all your life goals by the big 3-0. And in turn, we'll encourage you to redefine what the meaning and timeline of success actually looks like to you. In this episode, I'm joined by a fabulous guest who has over 25 years in marketing and branding, with almost a decade of that spent as the power woman behind the Sean Diddy Combs empire. She's also the author of What Mummy Never Told You, A Woman's Guide to the Next Phase of Life, where she shares the crucial lessons she's learned along the way to thrive as the ultimate female boss. Now get ready to be inspired. So another week on the podcast. Welcome, welcome to everyone. And this episode, I'm probably say every single episode, but I'm super, super excited because if you know me, then you know two things about me. One, I work in marketing and two, I'm big on representation. So when it comes to this guest, she almost ticks those two boxes, someone that I've looked up to when it's come to my career. And then also someone that has been a great role model for a lot of people wanting to get into professional marketing or even just wanting to get into the professional workspace. She's had over 25 years in the branding and marketing industry, worked in various sectors, beauty, media, um, tech, luxury goods. And she spent nine years with someone who we can class as one of the biggest businessmen, cultural icons of our time. Thank you, Erica Pittman, for being a guest on the podcast. Round of applause. Thank you for having me. Yay. (laughs) Brilliant. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. How are you, Michelle? I'm brilliant. I'm brilliant. Most people don't know, but Michelle is my middle name. So ah, I always have a sweet spot for Michelle's. <laughs> oh, that's great. Now I feel even more special. <laughs> but as I sort of mentioned, the theme of this whole podcast is about success after 30. And we want to sort of combat that narrative that, you know, you have to have everything together by that age. And I think you're, for me, you're an example of someone who's year on year on year gets better in her career, always reaching for the next sort of goals. But let's take it back when it comes to you. Something I want to ask you, did you always know you wanted to work in branding and marketing? Well, I I knew for a very, very long time. um, And I mentioned it in my book, but I was talking about uh, discovering who you are and sort of running with that narrative very early on in life. Um, And not everyone is blessed to be able to do that Mm. as early as others. And you think about you know, Tiger Woods sort of playing golf since he was, you know, a toddler, or even the the, the uh, Williams sisters playing tennis since they were toddlers. I think their gifts, um, you know, were, were sort of introduced to them and they were able to hone in on them very early, or even a Sean Combs who discovered his talents as early as 18 or 19 years old. Not everyone has that, that, that uh, advantage, but I do say, you know, tap into the things that you're most curious about as early on as possible and explore them just to see if that's where you want to take your purpose and where you want to put your energy. I mean, for me, I, I had a lot of conversations as a young girl with different people and my mom introduced me to someone who happened to be in marketing and it really opened up my my mind around you know what what was possible in business um so when i went to college i went with the express intent of learning about marketing so i, I was fortunate enough to figure out what i wanted to do beforehand and and focus on that scholastically great that's similar to me i studied marketing and i did it all the way i think i just knew but did you ever try anything just to try it and thought oh that is definitely not for me Oh yeah. My mom would always want, she had like this big vision for me. She wanted me to be a pianist. She wanted me to play all (laughs) sorts of instruments. She wanted me to play tennis and all these different things. And I just didn't like some of those things. And tennis happened to be one of those, um, uh, ballet, another one that I wasn't really, really great at, but definitely tried, um, in business. I think I really, I was lucky enough to figure out what I was good at, which was sort of speaking persuasion, uh, 
strategy. I just, I knew, I, I knew intrinsically that I, I was always very, very interested in, in commercials and the way, you know, products and brands spoke to people. And even as a young, young, young little girl, I remember being really excited about different commercials. Like McDonald's had this commercial during Black History Month. Actually, it was for MLK, for Martin Luther King. It was the, it, it's a jingle and I could sing it for you, but I don't want oh, to embarrass come on, give us a go. I don't have, <laughs> I could never do it. I'm just too embarrassed, but definitely YouTube, the McDonald's MLK commercial and you'll see it. And it's a beautiful song. Um, and, and, and I remember being so inspired by this commercial and like, it brought tears to my eyes and I thought, wow, this is amazing that like a company like McDonald's could create something like this to speak to people at that level. And I, I probably was about eight or nine years old and thought through it, you know, even back then. So I've always known what, what I wanted to do and um, I've pursued it um, intentionally. And then, so when you knew that you wanted to do marketing, did you have like a goal in mind? Even if, even if when you were in your twenties, did you think, okay, in 20 years time, I want to be here? You know, it's funny. And I talk about this a lot again in the book, but even when I speak to, to, to different uh, groups, I am very driven by money. I always have been. I'm so happy you said yeah, that. It's so important to admit it. Thank you. People shy away from that. And I mean, I'm British, so we even sh- we shy away from that even more. But I love that you said oh, that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, you know, I was just like, what career is going to make me the most money? Like at one point, I'd even, I even liked the idea of publicity. And when I looked at PR as a vocation and I looked at sort of the salary ranges and just, you know, what it takes to be really, really successful in PR, I'm like, well, that's way too hard. No one wants to do that to make money. And and I had to figure out a way to kind of do what I love to do, but really figure out how to monetize it. Because for me, it's about, it was about money uh, for a very long time. I think I've I've evolved a bit since then, and it is more about purpose for me. Um, But I do believe in doing well by doing good. So yeah, it was, it was always about a, a revenue target. How much money was I looking to make and generate in my life? Um, I, I talk about it again. I talk about in the book about wanting to make uh, $80,000, I think it was, at the time when I was, I was maybe 17. And I wanted to do that by the time I was 28. And in my day, $80,000 was probably like $150,000 right. today, yeah. just to give it context, right? So it was a little bit unreasonable, even to my peer group, but it was something that I wanted to do. And I actually achieved it, you know, four years earlier than that. That's amazing. Um, as, as a result, yeah. And those are bold goals that you had from quite a young age. Where did that come from in terms of giving you that belief that it was possible? I, I think it came from, it came from my child rearing. Uh, it came from like my predecessors, my, my grandmother, my aunt, my mother, my mother played a pivotal role in my life. She's one of my best friends and, mm-hmm. you know, she probably my closest and dearest friend, honest to God. And, um, we've always had this amazing relationship, but my family really hardwired in me that anything was possible and that I literally was capable of doing anything that I wanted to do. I remember my grandmother and I used to play this game, um, you know, what could I be when I grow up? And I would make up all of these, these different jobs. Could I be an astronaut? Could I be this? Could I be that? And she's like, absolutely. And I'm like, well, how do I do that? And she would talk to me about how I could go about doing that. Well, you could study this. And if you're really good at science and all these different things to help me to understand how to approach achieving my goals. And I remember at one time she said, I said, can I be the president of the United States? I swear to God, this is a story. <laughs> and she paused and it was the first time she paused and we were walking and she was holding my hand and I stopped and I looked up at her and I was like, well, can I be the, can I be the president of the United States? Uh-huh. And she was, she looked at me and she slowly shook her head and she said, you know what? I think at some point in your life, you can be the president of the United States. And when my grandmother passed away, but when Obama, Obama actually became president of the United States far before she passed away. And I remember calling her that night. And the first thing I said to her was, Nana, I really can be the president of the United States. And we both cried because we couldn't believe, like as as an adult, I realized how far fetched that dream was, but she didn't, she didn't squash it. You know, she, she told me I could do it still. So I think a lot of a lot of my ambition comes from from that rearing. That's amazing. And have you tried to keep that same environment around you? So obviously you had those powerful voices and figures speaking positivity into you as a child or as a young person. How do you sort of cultivate that around yourself now? Well, interestingly enough, uh, my my best friends. I have a core group of best friends, and then I have this really dynamic group of extended friends 
really, really powerful, dynamic women. I was just texting um, my core group of girlfriends this morning in celebration of one of our other mutual friends who uh, had an article in Forbes for her new wine. She has a sparkling wine called Wifey. Ah, Wines nice. And, spirits. and uh, amazing, amazing uh, liquid. And she's doing a really great job as an African-American woman building this empire. And I was just sort of bragging on her because of this article in Forbes. And I said to my, my core group of friends, I said, it is so amazing to me that my friends are so dynamic that each of you have done so many things in your life. And even just one of those things would be bigger than some people could ever dream. Yeah. And it's really amazing that God has, you know, brought these amazing dynamic people in my life. But I think, you know, like attracts like, and um, I've been very, very intentional about the people that I associate myself with. And that's very important for anyone that's looking to grow and expand. You have to look at your core network of, of friends because you are most like the people, the six people you spend the most time with. Definitely. That's sort of who you emulate. And, and I've been fortunate enough to have really powerful examples in my peer group that continue to help push and drive me to expand and, and become my best self. It is such a good point, as well as the career goals. You keep that in mind about cultivating that environment around you. They help you with your career goals. If you have the right people around you, they will challenge you, even in your profession, to be your best self. When you think about it, if you have a core group of girlfriends or, or guy friends, for that matter, and you know everyone sort of getting a promotion or, you know, excelling in their careers or doing some extracurricular activities to, to learn and expand their minds. And they're having conversations and dialogue about it. It's going to make you self take some self inventory and say, hmm, well, maybe I need to read a book or maybe I need to join this class or maybe I need to take on that additional project at work. And it'll help to, to build you and grow you naturally. There we go. So going back to your career and your career journey, if you just talk us through some of your key highlights over the 25 years plus? You know, it's funny. It's really difficult for me to look back on my career and, and you know, sort of pull out key moments. Um, I would have to say working for uh, Vanguard Media, uh, which was a, a lifestyle publishing company uh, in the early 2000s. They had uh, three magazines, one called Honey Magazine, uh, one called Heart and Soul, and a third one called Savoy Magazine. And they were all targeted at um, aspirational luxury uh, multicultural experiences. Nice. Um, I sold advertising there, and it was my first real career job. And I worked for two gentlemen, uh, Keith Klingscales and Lynn Burnett Jr., who are both dear friends to this day. I just spoke to Lynn uh, two days ago. Dear friends and now peers. They're actually peers. And at the time... You know, they were they were what I aspired to, to become. And uh, and I learned so much from them about business and about uh, professionalism and tenacity and uh, just, you know, how to to uh, to really strive for what you want in business. Um, and they they've played pivotal roles in my in my career journey. And I, I talk about Keith Kling skills in my book. Um, you know, Keith taught me how to negotiate my salary in a really strategic way wow. and, um, and pushed me. To, to move the number and, and get to a fair and equitable compensation package, you know, not really understanding at the time that, you know, women get paid less and black women get paid even, you know, yeah. even, even fewer dollars. So I believe we're, you know, 50 or 60 cents on the dollar uh, as uh, black women. So in knowing that and being able to still command an equitable uh, and, and, palatable uh, compensation package was really, really important early on in my career. And, and Keith Klinskills taught me that. So I'd say that was that was one moment. And then the second moment was obviously for me working for Sean Combs for nine years. Um, mm. He has been a pivotal, pivotal, pivotal part of my ability to make anything happen in my life, personally and professionally. He taught me anecdotally taught me how to understand what it takes to just create what you want, regardless of if it exists, regardless of if it's real, regardless of anything anybody tells you, if you want it, there is a way to make it happen. And are you willing to do the work to get the things that you want to have? And I think conditioning over a decade of producing really amazing results at lightning speed 
I learned that from him. And I, and I was, I, I was blessed and fortunate to work so, so closely with someone that is that brilliant in, in business and passionate about life. I would have to say those were the two, two big moments. Must've been like a, a journey through fire, but fire that created pressure and pressure that made you who you, who you are today. One million percent, one million percent. Hardest job I've ever had, but most fulfilling. I was just about to ask you, what exactly did your job involve with Sean Combs? Well, I, I I worked with Combs Enterprises for nine and a half years and I held eight roles there. So I was one of four people um, that I'm very, very, very proud to acknowledge. And I don't care who, you know, has anything to say about it. But I was one of four people at the time that it worked on every piece of his business. Um, people don't realize that Sean Combs has a portfolio of uh, it's a $900 million portfolio. Wow. People don't realize how big it is, but it's a huge portfolio of brands. And you think about it, he has a television network, not, yeah. not, a, not, a, not a TV show, a television <laughs> network, right? People are always like, oh, what channel, what, what time does that this show Revolt comes on? Come on. I'm like, no, Revolt's a network. It's a real whole network. <laughs> the first two years, people really couldn't wrap their minds around what he had done in that space. But in addition to that, you know, the spirits with the vodka and tequila, mm-hmm. the fragrances, the fashion, the movies, obviously the music, um, it just, it, the water, it, it runs the gamut. And so I was fortunate enough to work on so many different facets of his business. And, and it, it gave me a perspective um, and a business acumen that that's really dynamic because I, I was able to, to approach business from so many different sectors, from consumers, packaged goods, to media, mm-hmm. to fashion, um, you know, to strategy, you know, at a corporate level, to operationally. Um, there were just so many different ways that I touched business that it was like, it was like a Harvard Business School opportunity, um, you know, and, and being compensated well for it. So um, I, it just, it was just a really phenomenal experience and, and having, you know, stepped away from it over the past few years and looking back on it, I'm even more grateful because sometimes the lessons don't show up for you from, from previous experiences until years later. In the moment, how did it feel though? It was really hard. It, for me, it's, I, I love the idea of challenges, but the it needs to have a reward. And I think the thing that was so amazing about working in that space, because it wasn't it wasn't hard like, oh, he sent me to go get cheesecake, <laughs> you know, like they did on the he's he's not he's not that in real life. It's more of a proverbial cheesecake. Right. right. Okay. What he does is he tasks you with making the impossible happen really, really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so you have to use your brain to figure out how to solve problems, big, 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 big opportunities. Right. And what happens is, is when you solve them and when you create these amazing things that didn't exist prior to that, and now it does because of your hard work, because of your ingenuity, because of your innovation and your tenacity, it's so rewarding that it's almost like a drug. It makes you want to do it again because you start to understand your magic and your power. And that, that was the thing that fueled me personally and made me want to continue because it showed me that, A, I could be excellent. And when I was excellent, these are the outputs. And then if I could just do it better and do it better, I was only elevating my own personal excellence in the hard work. So while it was challenging and, 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 and high, you know, high intensity, it was so, so, so gratifying and rewarding at the same time. Was was it ever hard to a point where you thought you couldn't do it or you wanted to give up or I'm done? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I can remember like, I, I remember like one time literally in a corner crying, so frustrated because I couldn't figure something out and couldn't get it done the way that I wanted it done because it becomes this thing where it's not, it's not about Sean Combs. It's not about Combs Enterprises. It's not even about the the product or service you're creating. It's about you personally. And it became this thing for me where I wanted to achieve my personal best and my personal greatness. And so, you know, hitting a, you know, maybe a plateau or a wall or or just not being able to will something the way that I wanted it to happen created levels of frustration in me, you know, and, and it's a natural reaction to just get so frustrated, particularly when you're passionate, that it, you know, it pulls that level of emotion out of you. And so I've certainly had, you know, moments where I felt defeated and I just wanted to give up and, you know, 
Yeah. It, it was never gumdrops and roses every time. So, you know, there's a lot of internal politics and, you know, people and, and, you know, nasty dispositions and people that are not necessarily um, advocates of, you know, your work or your ability. So there, there were stumbling blocks along the way. So certainly having those frustration points were, were there, but being able to, again, overcome them. And in spite of any of the, that adversity, achieving the things that I wanted to or needed to achieve was the part that that was even sweeter. That sounds perfectly fair. I think we have to just accept that there are going to be those moments and we figure, forgive ourselves in those moments. If I, if I can add to that, for me, it's not about forgiving myself, right? Because there's nothing wrong with being frustrated. There's nothing wrong with, you know, perhaps hitting a wall. There's nothing wrong with uh, being a little stuck. We, mm-hmm. we have to be more gentle with ourselves. Like this is all a process. When you think about, when you watch a baby learning how to walk, a baby doesn't fall out and have a temper tantrum because it keeps falling while, you know, while it's trying to walk, it just falls and it gets back up and it tries again and it falls again. How many times does a baby fall before it learns how to walk? And they never get frustrated. They're just like, oh, okay, I fell. I'm going to get back up and try yeah. again. I know not to do that the next time. I'll put my feet a bit straighter. Right. right. And you know what else? Their parents, they, they praise them for the one or two steps that they took. Oh my gosh, you tried. Yay. But as we get older, if we stump our toe or we fall, it's the end of the world and we're hard on ourselves and we, we're forgiving ourselves. What are we forgiving ourselves for? Yeah. You just learned and you get up and you try to walk again. That is a word. I'm going to try to take that into practice. <laughs> you mentioned Vanguard and obviously working at Combs Enterprises. The men in your world um, and men as mentors specifically, how did you find having men as those mentors? Did you even look at them like, okay, they're not like me, but I can learn from them. What was that experience? That's, that's amazing that you brought that up. So I have a whole chapter in my book um, and I talk about femininity versus uh, sexuality. And within that chapter, I talk a lot about male mentors. Throughout the book, I talk a lot about my male mentors because I have throughout my career, male uh, guidance sort of has gravitated to me. I don't know if it's my personality. I'm very alpha. I, I'm, I'm from Brooklyn, so I'm very assertive. I'm a go-getter. Men are a little intrigued, right? Because on the onset, if you look at me, I should be some sort of gentle flower that's really soft-spoken and I have all my manners and, you know, I use the right forks, which I do. And um, <laughs> I should, you know, be really, really, really gentle, and I'm not. I have my opinion. I know what I believe in. I'm very passionate. And so men tend to look at that like, wait a minute. She's like, you know, this really delicate little thing, but she's, you know, she packs a punch. And I just think they get <laughs> curious and then naturally start to push it, you know, just to see like, oh, if I poke her, she's not going to cry. Hey, wait a minute. You know, and so they naturally start coaching me. And then it's almost like this thing where they're like, oh, wow, she could really be a force. If, if I could just teach her how to, you know, harness it. And so I, as a, as a young professional, I had a lot of male mentorship and it was extremely nurturing and, 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 and wonderful. But what ended up happening for me is as I, as I excelled in my career, my style got me there, but won't take me to the next level because, um, the world is not equipped as of yet to deal with women in power seats in a way that they're equipped to deal with men. They're just not. They're not used to women being in in, in very, very senior level positions of power. So as I've moved up the ranks, what's happening is the men around me are not receiving this very, very masculine approach. They're not receiving it well because I'm a woman. And so I've had to learn how to soften my skill set to achieve what I need to achieve at a very senior level. And it's, it's really an interesting dynamic. And I struggled with it for two or three years. I had an executive coach. Um, I actually, um, a Andre Harrell, uh, who passed away uh, last year, unfortunately. Yeah, he was also a, a great guide for me uh, throughout my time at Combs. He introduced me to a woman by the name of Suzanne DePass. She and anyone who is listening uh, yourself, Michelle, please Google Suzanne DePass. She is one of the most phenomenal women in media and entertainment that you will ever, ever, ever experience. She discovered Michael Jackson. Literally, wow. literally Michael Jackson and the Jackson five are Michael Jackson and Jackson five because of Suzanne DePass. 
They came into Barry Gordy's office. She 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 met them. They they auditioned for her, and she convinced Barry to see Michael. He's like, she's a star. We have to bring him on. And she was in charge of you know uh, pretty much taking care of the Jackson Five very early on from the time she was nineteen. So she worked with Barry uh, very early on in her career and ascended to you know to high 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 heights. She created Motown, the Motown Twenty Five. Uh, television program on NBC where Michael Jackson did the moonwalk, yeah, that famous oh, award show. Amazing. She produced that entire show. I mean, just really amazing cultural moments that we know today with Suzanne the past. And so um, she's done a myriad of amazing projects since then, Emmy award winning producer. Uh, so she's become a mentor for me over the years. Wow. And um, her, her career path was very serendipitous to my own being that she had this professional uh, experience with Barry Gordy, who obviously Sean Combs is sort of the Barry Gordy of today uh, with Bad Boy and Motown uh, similarities. So she gave me a lot of guidance as a senior executive on how to navigate being a leader and being female uh, and having this very, very masculine uh, experience. And um, so, so I, it's a very long-winded answer, but no, no, it, it, was, it, it, was, it was really, really important for me to have those male mentors early on in my career because they taught me how to push through and excel in a male-dominated industry. So being able to speak up in a room full of men, being able to advocate for my points uh, and my opinions and my ideas, being able to advocate for my salary, uh, being able to advocate for my own work and the, and the work of others around me, uh, all of those things I learned from those, those male mentors. But honestly, it was the soft skills that I was missing a few years ago when I was leading a group of people who weren't comfortable taking commands from a woman. How do you respond in the moment, those moments? Because I can imagine I could go down the path of saying, well, you're going to just listen to me. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I was told I'm a bull in a China shop is what I was told. You need to, you just need to be a little more gentle. You're too direct. I'm a bull in a China shop. And my immediate, and this was one of my peers and one of my senior level peers. And I said, well, who's the bull and who's the China? Are Mm. you China? Mm. Are you delicate? (laughs) Oh, he was livid. He was livid. (laughs) Livid. I said, you refer to yourself as China, sir. If I'm the bull, you must be the China. <laughs> I didn't realize you were so delicate. I'll be sure to handle you a little more gently moving forward. Handle you the care, fragile little one. You fragile little one, you. <laughs> oh, he was so upset. It was definitely one to grow on for me. You know, it's not about right or wrong. It's about, is it working or is it not working? There we go. Yeah. And people are not socialized to accept female leadership in that way. And so I had to learn another set of skills and, um, and I, and I have been working very, very uh, in, intentionally on it and, and it's been effective and it really is femininity. What were some of the things that you were told to do or that you were coached into doing? You know, this is a good one because I, um, I want to do a piece on femininity and I, I need to do some work myself to figure out how to articulate it because I haven't, I haven't been able to anchor the sort of anecdotal approach to femininity to say, these are the steps. Here's practically what you do, like practical application. I don't know how to do that yet. But what I can say from a feeling standpoint, I think compassion is a huge part of femininity. Mm-hmm. Uh, patience is a huge part of femininity. When, when I think about femininity, I think about uh, some of those really nurturing, endearing qualities. Um, that that women naturally possess that that are all part of of being feminine. Um, it's it, and I used to think that femininity was softness, and it's not necessarily softness. It is uh, it's sort of like groundedness. It's foundationally grounded. It's rooted, and I think that if we can learn to harness that energy to the external environment, that it is so powerful. It forces everyone to bow. Mm. It's just something about the power of feminine that forces the world to fall in line. Think about our moms, right? Or our, our maternal figures. Girl, when that kicks in. Yeah. My mom was definitely head of the household, even though my dad was right there. But it was definitely there all my mom. All your mom. And she didn't have to scream. She didn't have to yell. Sometimes she didn't even have to speak. Oh, it's the eyes. It's all in the eyes. It's the <laughs> eyes. It's the body language. It's, it's the resolve. Yeah. And it forces everyone to just bow. And it happens in business. It happens in personal relationships. It happens. It, 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 it works. It is the most powerful force 
that we have been ordained with and we were we have not been taught properly as a society we haven't been taught as women to channel it and use it to our advantage because for so long it's been put in the box of being a weakness and it's not not something that should be seen in business and you know what else it's not direct so it femininity doesn't always produce a direct result in that instance right so sometimes we tend to think it's not effective because it may not necessarily happen right there when you want to fix a, a situation or, or evolve a situation. Mm. Like you think about, you know how your, your dad will tell you, no, no, we're not doing that. No. And your mom says, don't worry, just give me a minute. <laughs> and in two days, three days, sometimes a week, suddenly you're all doing the very thing that you exactly. wanted to have. <laughs> but in that moment, it may not feel effective, but it works in the long term. It works. And, 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 and it's just a part of, so you have to have patience. So there's compassion, there's uh, nurturing, there's patience, there's groundedness. So foundational, you know, the, those are all p- things that are part of femininity. And when you did that, you started to see results and people respond to you differently. Immediately, immediately. I, did, I just did it yesterday on a call. I was on a call with an attorney and um, I'm trying to do some uh, some work around some certifications and I'm, I'm looking for uh, expert uh, counsel to help get those things done for a client. And the conversation was coming from this, this accusatory, uh, aggressive, suspicious space. And he was just combative. And I mean, just was not forwarding the dialogue at all. And I was immediately about to go into masculine mode and just finish him on the call, <laughs> right? Like just desecrate him, right? But I was like, that, that's not going to stop. I'm not going to get what I need. So I said, okay, we're going to use the femininity thing here. And I said, well, you know, I think, and I, I lowered my voice and I softened my voice and I said, you know, I think uh, everything you're saying is, is 1 million percent valid. And, you know, for me, it's important for us to take the, the prudent, appropriate approach to getting things done. And, you know, I'm looking for an expert to help guide me uh, in, in those things, which is why I thought maybe perhaps you might be the best knower of those things. I just, I've heard amazing things about you in the marketplace and, you know, you, your expertise in this field is, is, is bar none. And so I, I was hoping that perhaps you can help guide us in, in, in getting, in getting these things done. But, if, you know, of course, if, if, if you don't have time or this doesn't fit your roster, I understand. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> no. I mean, I think I definitely can help you. I could, yeah, well, we can do this and we should, I was like, oh, okay. And then all of a sudden he just shifted all of his energy and how can I help you? How can I be of service to you? I want to help you. Please let me help you. It's how the conversation shifted. And it was, it was a little bit of a submission for me, right? Egotistically. Yeah. How do you reconcile that? Because it's not an immediate response, but I know I'm going to get what I want because it's, it's, again, always remember this. It is not about right or wrong. It's about, is it working or is it not working? Got it. So what do you need to do to have the effect or outcome that you desire to have? And if sometimes we have to humble ourselves a bit to have things work out the way that we would like for them to work out. Yeah. And so I didn't need to be right in that conversation. I just needed to be effective. So I do want to delve into a little bit about that in a bit more detail, like those skills that you picked up. But I, I want to just, again, just take it to the book. Mm-hmm. So what mummy never told you. I can never say that word because us British people, we don't say ma- mommy. <laughs> we say what mummy? You say mom. 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 <laughs> what your mom, mom did it tell mom. you? Yes. <laughs> so what is um, the book about? So the book I say is one part memoir, one part self-help. Um, I, over the years, it took me 12 years to write this book. Wow. Um, I, over the years, yeah, it took a long time. Well, they say your first book as an author is therapy. It's uh, it's very therapeutic, um, cathartic, even some in some cases. And um, I uh, I definitely experienced both. But um, over the years, people always ask me a lot of the questions that you're asking me now, mm-hmm. and that is why I keep referencing back to the book because of, as a result of this dialogue that I was having repeatedly in the marketplace, it inspired me to tell my story and and all of the tools that I've amassed and the lessons that I've learned throughout my life. Um, in, in, in sort of this, uh, categorical format. So I've tried to bucket different life lessons into different chapters. And I tell stories about my upbringing, my early career, and even my most recent career and life experiences and the lessons that I've learned as a result. Um, and the, the notion of what mommy never told you, um, a woman's guide to the next phase of life. The notion behind it is 
no matter how wonderful or not so wonderful our, our upbringing may have been, there are just going to be things in our lives that your parents, our parents cannot teach us. Yeah. There are things that um, you have to experience. And, um, and as, as a Black woman, I have been um, a generational first in a number of different areas of my life. And I think us as people of color, we can all speak, speak, I think the same as it relates to doing radically different and almost better than our parents in most cases, right? Like because opportunities have just evolved for us as people of color throughout throughout the ages. So the things that I was able to do, my grandmother just was not able to do when she was my age. Yeah. Right. And so when you th- when I think about that, there are going to be life circumstances and situations that I come across that my mother just cannot guide me on. And so how am I tapping into the skills that I have amassed to be able to make the decisions I need to make to forward my life successfully? And that's what the book is about. Got it. You said you started this how long ago? 12 years. Well, I published the book last last May, uh, excuse me, last March, March 3rd. So it'll be almost a year, which I'm very, very excited about. Nine. And uh, yeah, it took 12 years. It took me two years to be able to say it out loud that I wanted to write a book. Why? Why? What were you nervous about? The inner critic, you know, my inner critic told me that I wasn't special enough to write a book. No one would care about my story. I haven't had anything super dramatic happen in my life. You know, what would anchor a story around my life? And why was I so self-important to think that I needed to share my story? It felt, it felt very uh, egotistical at first. Do you think it comes from being a brand architect and your whole focus has been on other people and other brands and turning now the lens back on yourself. Has that been the challenging part of it? Oh, 1 million percent. I am the, I am the proverbial, do you know the beautician and her hair is never done or the nail technician and her nails are horrible or the, the therapist that's a the complete quack. There she's a psycho, but she's a therapist. Right. Or the doctor who doesn't know she's sick. Like, I do I have a cold? Ma'am, you're a physician. You don't know you have a cold? <laughs> it's very much that, yes. And how did you get over that? But I got over it. Yeah. How, how in those two years, what convinced you like, okay, Erica, I've just got to get out of my head and just do it? I did a lot of internal work uh, on myself um, and uh, was able to sort of start dealing with those shadows, those things inside of us that like, I didn't realize, you know, the role that the inner critic and the ego play. And I talk about the uh, inner critic here in the book as well, but the the role the ego plays in life and and forcing us to play these really small games in life. Like, oh, I'm only capable of doing this. I can just do that. And I think, honestly, I probably had been at Combs Enterprises for about a year when I finally said, I can do this. This is real. This was in 2010 that I said that this is a real thing. And I remember two things happened. I um, I was, believe it or not, I was talking to B. Smith uh, mm-hmm. at uh, her restaurant uh, when I was uh, leading the Ciroc business. And um, she and I were just having a lovely conversation at the bar. And she, she's obviously an author. And I asked her, you know, what how did she get her first book out? And she told me her experience, which was not dissimilar to mine around how long it took her to realize she wanted to write a book. But um, I told, I told her, I said, you know, I, I have to admit something. This is the first time I'm saying it out loud. I said, I want to write a book. And she was so excited for me. Oh. I think she understood how powerful it was that I could even just admit it to myself out loud. She grabbed a napkin and a pen and she starts talking to me about how to develop a TOC, a table of contents. And she said, if you can come up with 10 chapter topics, you have a book. If you can find 10 things that you want to talk about in this book, you have a book. And now you have to back into at least 10 pages for each of those topics. And there's your book. It was that simple. And it, it, was, it was such a blessing. And to this day, I wish I would have kept the, the napkin that she wrote oh, this, this that TOC been, on. That would be perfect. You could have oh, framed it. I would have put it in the book. Yes, absolutely. I would have put a picture in the book. But it was an amazing, amazing opportunity. And then I sat down with Lynn Burnett at, at brunch one day, and I, I admitted it to him. And he helped me work through the overview of what the book could be. And, I, and he charged me with going home and writing at least two pages or an essay on what the book could be. And that was what really brought it to life in 2010. And I didn't publish it until last year. So I'm going to ask you to select, and it might be really difficult because I'm sure all chapters, all of the chapters are your babies. Let's take 
five chapters that you you just like delve a little bit deeper into how you've had found a lesson within them and any sort of tips that people can take from what you've written. And we want to tease people because I think it's definitely a book that people should have in their collection. Thank you. So we won't give all the tea away. So <laughs> Thank you, Ray. Yeah, please, please, please go buy the book. Exactly. Let's give them a little yes. taste there of those five chapters. I think chapter two is being bigger than your circumstances is really, really a, an important chapter because oftentimes we tend to tell ourselves these stories about what we can and can't do based on who we were before. And who we were does not determine who we are and who we will be. Yeah. Only we can determine that. And, you know, my mom used to always have this saying that you are from it, you are not of it, right? And so where you are from, what has happened does not define who you are. It helps to inform who you are, but it does not define you. Um, And so I think that chapter two is really, really important. Uh, And then I would say never lose your childlike wonder uh, chapter is really important. It's really talking about uh, ambition and motivation and, and drive and setting goals for yourself and dreaming, really like figuring out how to dream big in your life. Chapter six is important around defining and controlling your own narrative. Mm. That is really important because sometimes we let other people tell our story. We let other people create the, the narrative around who we are. Don't do that. You, you praise yourself. You celebrate yourself. You tell your story the way that you want it told. Don't let other people define who you are. And um, I would say dominating in a male-dominated industry is a really, a really interesting one. But honestly, chapter 10, the conclusion, really sums up my approach to life mm-hmm. and you know how to, how to maximize every day and staying present around the things you have versus the things that you want or what you lack. Um, just really figuring out how to be in a space of gratitude and thankful for the opportunities that are in front of you right now. Even just honestly breathing, you know, if we just stop for one second and just put our hand over our hearts and sit quietly and think about how hard your heart is working every single day. Your heart is working overtime to make your whole body work and your heart never complains. Your heart never really needs to be heard physically. Mm. It's just doing what it's supposed to do every day for you because it loves you and is strong. And that in itself can bring tears to my eyes to think about my body is just doing what it's supposed to do. Instinctively. So am I doing my part, Mm. right? So, but am I doing my part for my body? Those small little things in life can fill you with so much joy and everything may not be going the way you want it to go. Some things may be going horribly, Mm. honestly, but you know, if we shift our mindset and think about the good things and think about, you know, the path to goodness and, and, and coming from a space of love, life from a perspective standpoint can, can change radically. And I, I like what you what you did in bringing up gratitude. I literally posted about this maybe a couple of days ago in that sometimes in this pursuit of goals, we, as soon as we get a win, we're like, great, amazing, move on to the next. Great, amazing, move mm-hmm. on to the next. And you don't take that moment to just pause and be thankful that the thing that you had been wishing for, praying for, you just achieved it. You just did it. Mm-hmm. But you don't take that moment mm-hmm. to stop and say thank you acknowledge the moment, acknowledge yourself, acknowledge yourself for doing it. How have you been able to, you know, cultivate that sense of gratitude when you have achieved something? I do a a ton of inner work. Uh, I meditate, I pray, um, you know, I I have a higher power belief. Uh, I won't say that I'm religious, but I'm very spiritual. And, um, you know, I believe in a higher power and I'm I'm intentional about my life. I, I, I know how lucky I am. I really, really do. Coming from where I've come from and being able to have the experiences that I've been able to and continue to to experience, to to create, um, I I know that that is favor. I know that that is that is divine. And 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 I just want to be able to do my part. To give back to that and to give give thanks for that, because it's just it could be anyone. God could have chosen anyone and he chose me. He chose me to be in this body. He chose me to have the parents that I had and the family that I have. He chose me 
every time he chose me for these blessings. And so for me, what am I doing in response to that? Who am I being in response to that? Mm. And so I just try to be a good human to people, even people that don't like me, even people that haven't been good humans to me. I try to still be a good human because the blessings that I've received and continue to receive are so much bigger than anything else. It's like, uh, who am I? Yeah. Who am am I to not be, you know, a a kind human, a good person? I'm like, shoot, I got to keep these blessings coming. I don't know. I'm going to put some quarters and some meters. I'm just, (laughs) what do I need to do? Because I got to keep it coming. (laughs) And I want to take it back to what you said at the beginning when we spoke about what were your goals and you mentioned money, very honestly saying that. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned briefly about purpose and um in, in terms of the roles that you might be choosing now or wanting to pursue, that sort of balance between wealth and purpose, how does that sit now for you? That's a really, really uh, intriguing question for me because it's it's one of my uh, one of my discovery questions. Um, as I'm I'm in a, I'm in a, a transition period in my life at the moment, and um, I'm I'm so at peace and and so happy and excited about about this, you know, sort of, I call them the tween moments, the in-between moments, mm. I call them the tween moments. And they're, they're, they're really amazing. And I used to be afraid of them when I was younger, but they happen so frequently in life. And, and what I've learned is the, the outcome is always bigger, better, and greater, at least for me. So I, I'm never worried anymore about the tween moments. It's like, oh, this is my time to kind of get it together. And one of the things that I've been thinking intentionally about is really being able to be on purpose um, in my career and having this fulfilling angle or approach to business that allows me to make a shitload of money and help a boatload of people in the process. Like, how do I create that? Like, I want a mega, mega, big, amazing life. Yeah. And I want to be able to really, like how Oprah's like, you yeah. get a car, you get a car, <laughs> build a school in Africa, a <laughs> million dollars, take it. That's amazing, right? Like, that's yeah. what I want to be able to create, you know identifying that and, and manifesting that into my life has is, is been really important for me. And I don't know what that is or what that looks like, but I do know that, you know, the next thing that I do, I'd like for it to have, have some really juicy purpose driven around it. That's such a good example in terms of it doesn't have to be one or the other. You can do well by doing good. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. I'm going to put that on my vision board. <laughs> yes, please do. You know, we had talked about sort of succeeding after 30. I think it is so, so, so important that we talk about that. I don't know if you guys have seen these memes going around and I wish I could memorize it, but it talks about, you know, people achieving this amazing success, uh, you know, at 40, 50, even 60 years old. Oprah. Oprah. uh, She's a prime example. Someone who, you know, was successful really late in life. Jay-Z was very, very, very mature when his debut album came out. I believe he was 27. If any rapper came out now at that age. It was slightly absurd when he did it. Yeah. When he came out as a rapper and he was so much older, it was so foreign. It was just like, how is he like a a new debut rapper at this age? And I mean, obviously he's one of the most successful rappers in the history of the, of the culture. So you just, you just never know. And I think, um, you know, 30 is not a death sentence, guys. Tell them, Erica, tell them. First of all, 30 is the most amazing decade. It's so fun. Uh, I think Bette Midler said this, your 20s are for sleeping with all the wrong men. Your 30s are for marrying all the wrong men. And 40s is when you finally start to, to get it right. Got it. <laughs> and it's so true. It's like your 20s are dramatic and they're, oh my God, I don't know. I can't figure it out. It's so hard. What are the directions? Oh, whoa, it's me. And then you, you, you look up and you're like, holy crud, I don't have it figured out. And I'm 30. No, 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 my friend, you're not supposed to have it figured out. You're just getting all that teenage stuff out of your system. At 30 is when you develop this, this self-awareness and this, this resolve and confidence and resolution about what it is that you want for your life. And you care less about other people's opinions. You care less about, I mean, when I tell you the zero F's given (laughs) just gets greater and greater as you get older. Oh my gosh. It's the most amazing thing ever. And then, you know, I think that the thing for the thirties, the biggest thing for me in my thirties was this notion of the biological clock and really understanding how much time I had around 
having children. Uh, being a mother is a very important part of my life and still still remains. And I don't have children. Um, I did freeze my eggs in my, my late 30s, which I think any woman that's listening to this podcast should explore. It just creates a level of insurance and, and takes a lot of pressure off of finding the right one, quote unquote, finding a partner, finding your career and all those things in this very short window of time. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, because that is biological, and if you freeze your eggs, that mitigates that, right? You've got 15 more years now. Now now you can do it friggin'. If you freeze your eggs at 30, you can have a baby at 45 with those eggs, right? So freeze them at 36, and you can do it when you're 50 and you're yeah. fine. It is what it is. Although I do encourage any woman that is interested in freezing their eggs, go to an, an uh, IVF specialist now. Your eggs are most viable before 35. It is an easier process. Go get it done if you're going to get it done. Look into your your work um, health benefits. Some workplaces do that. Yes, they do. Uh, Viacom is a, a company that 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 subsidizes uh, in vitro fertilization, which wow. I think is an amazing, amazing benefit. And there are a lot of companies that are doing it more now. So do your research. I'm sure I don't know if the Googles of the world do it, but these really conscious companies now offer those services. So so look into the subsidy of that. It's not terribly expensive when you think about the insurance for your life yeah. um, and your life goals. And it really does take the pressure off of you. But you ever nervous like in in being on the career track were there moments where you thought oh, I, I think I should really just consider having a family now you know I, I've always wanted a family I could have easily had a family in my late 20s I just the 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 way that I I believe in nuclear family um and I've, I've always wanted to have a child with my partner I wanted my partner and I to create a new life it's always been my vision on how I wanted to have it done and those things did not present themselves the way that perhaps I wanted them to present themselves. And so there was just no space to prioritize a child with, with the absence of the partner. And so the things that I could control, I controlled, and that was my career. And I felt like the partner will come. Um, And so, you know, I decided to freeze my eggs in my my late thirties because I, I realized that, you know, this thing does have a born on date and, and I want to be able to do it if, in fact, it makes sense for me at some point in my life. And and I'm still in a space where I don't know if that is. But yeah, you have the choice now. Absolutely. So that that aside, that one little pickle aside, <laughs> which is a bit, very big one, <laughs> calm down, everyone. Like you're in your 30s and it's amazing. It's going to all play itself out properly. Um, and it, it really does just get better. I, I can say that the, the one thing that I try to tell young women in uh, in their 30s is please, please, please be hyper vigilant about taking care of yourself in this decade in particular, because it will pay off in the next decade. Like people look at me and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you're, you know, I'm, I'll be 45 in April. I'm, no way. I'm unapologetic about my age. I have some people like, don't tell your age. I'm like, why not? I'm a trophy. <laughs> Let them know. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm like, what do you Let mean? I'm like, hello. I am like Benjamin Button. I look better now than I did 20 years ago. Wow. You really, you look amazing. Seriously. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. But one of the things that I've always done is I take really, really good care of myself. I drink a ton of water. I, uh, I, I don't uh, drink excessively. I am, I am a very, very social drinker. I love my wine now. I won't pretend, but I'm not like an abusive um uh, a binge drinker, yeah. Binge drinker. Uh, you know, I've never done drugs and I'm not judging anyone, but if you do, you know, have any sort of any recreational thing going on, modify it quickly, get rid of it, get rid of the junk. I eat super clean. I don't eat nonsense. I, I definitely have a, you know, slice of pizza and, you know, some, some Buffalo wings every now and again. A slice. I mean, you know, I'm out here eating the whole pizza. I mean, sometimes, <laughs> you know, life happens and sometimes you eat a whole pie. It happens to the best <laughs> of us. Right. And so, but I'm saying in moderation is what I'm saying. Moderation. Right? Exactly. And exercise is very important and praying and please do not stress over boys. Oh, but Erica, they, they're horrible. <laughs> That's why you can't stress over them. It, it's just going to give you wrinkles. You don't need that. You don't want wrinkles. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Don't stress over boys. <laughs> it, men, men are amazing, dynamic creatures. Those of us that are heterosexual, those of us that are not heterosexual, we have to have a separate offline conversation. But as it relates to heterosexual relationships, Men are amazing, but either they want you or they don't want you. And if they don't want you, you don't want them. And that's it. Don't stress. You make it sound so simple. 
people. It's all it is. I wish someone would have. T- I wish someone would have told me this when I was twenty five. <laughs> yeah, lots of wasted time with boys that were just not serious. Oh Jesus! I mean, come on. It's just not even worth the. It's not even worth the internal life force no. <laughs> for someone that is not interested. That you're just giving it away. Yeah. Keep it for yourself. So doing those things, I think, in that that ten year period, and really working hard and intentional around your career and being excellent, being excellent in your family life, in your professional life, in your spiritual life. In those years, that next 20 years, 30 years is going to be amazing, like amazing. Oh, you make it sound like I want to be there now. I mean, I'm, I'm 35, so I'm, I'm like there. That's a cute <laughs> What are you like at the Sassy. <laughs> sassy. I mean, I'm more sassy now, but I was super sassy at 35 because I was just so sophisticated and worldly. And I had all this experience and confidence and success and it was cute. And, you know, you just 35 is like a really mature 25. Mm. <laughs> it's like, you know, I like not, that. Yeah. You're not like wayward. You have a bit of focus. Right. You understand yourself a lot more. You have focus. Yes. Is you're just rooted and grounded in who you are and you know, you know yourself, you know your you know your mind, you know your body, you know you're self-possessed at 35. You should be at least, right? If you're if you're a normal evolving human, right? Some of us have some delayed uh maturation, yeah, that's, which is that's you know, understandable. <laughs> And you just, you, and you're having fun. Even if you've had children at 35 years old, your children are upright and mobile and just, you're a little more spicy at that age. And so I feel like it, you know, that this next five years for you is going to be really, really awesome. I claim it. Claim it. Don't fight age. Don't be ashamed of your age. My grandmother had a saying and she aged gracefully. She aged really well throughout her life. Um, she said, do not fight age because it will win. Mm. You've seen the people that have tried to fight it. Girl. It's not good. <laughs> they look a mess. <laughs> you cannot fight age. You just have to embrace it. On that, with many of your gems, I do have a dilemma from someone. Oh. And just wanted to okay. see if you can get your advice. You've been giving us so many gems so far, but just asking for a few more. <laughs> so the dilemma is, I'm going to read it out. I work in the corporate environment, which doesn't feel like me. I just started out in my career. So having this company name on my resume CV would do wonders for my career, but I hate it. Not so much the work, but the culture. It's very cliquey. I'm the only person of color in my team and they can be ignorant. Am I supposed to just stick it out? That is a very, very good, good, good question. Um, I do not believe in thriving in cultures that don't serve. I've always been that way. Serve me. I've, I've gone on interviews, even as a younger person early on in my career. And from the moment I walked in, I realized that the energy and the culture of that environment did not speak to me. It was not for me. And I think it is important to navigate your resume and have points on the board with prestigious companies and, you know, do work in, in powerful environments but not at the expense of your well-being and your ability to thrive. Mm. Um, we spend a disproportionate amount of our time at work and work should be fulfilling. It should not, unfortunately, for those of us that have jobs and not careers, we have to do hard work. I get that part and that's unfortunate. And I hope that everyone at some point in their lives has an opportunity to experience career work. But if you are pursuing a career you would, I would like for each person listening to this and in anyone that's not listening to this, I would like for them to work in an environment that culturally at least speaks to them. Certainly you're going to deal with difficult personalities. You're going to deal with, you know, politics at work and in business anywhere you go. But if, if this person that, that wrote this, this, this letter really is feeling like this company is, is depleting them or draining them on a personal level, they need to look for other employment. Yeah. I really do believe that. I do not believe you should quit before you find the right job because you might walk into another, you know, space out of haste because you need it to work. But find some place that speaks to you culturally or at least you believe in its purpose and its mission or the the ethos of what that company represent fa- represents falls in line with the things that that you believe in or are passionate about or or speak to who you are on a day to day. You just don't want to spend 40 hours a week in a place where 
the way they think about things is foreign to who you are and what you believe in. Yeah, it's just not an environment that will lead you to be your best. And even that's going to be a detriment to your resume. That's right. I can relate in that me starting out my career as well. You do just want those names and you do anything to just get experience because especially in marketing and branding, it's like, oh, but you need experience to get more experience. There's a space for the uncomfortability. I think that particularly if you're starting out in your career, sometimes we need to adjust to what work is. Please don't be cavalier, those of us that are listening, to think that you can just quit your job because it's not your happy place. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm saying is if your work is in, if your work environment is toxic mm. and it is creating toxicity in your life outside of the workplace and it's genuinely draining you from a happiness standpoint, then you've got to make some decisions in any situation in your life to kind of ex- exit that space, whether that's a personal relationship, an intimate relationship, professionally. Friends. Friends, men, women, lovers, whatever you want to call them, get rid of it. But do it in a way that is practical and it's going to serve your best interest. So if you're there six months, stick it out another six months and stay a year. So you have a nice steady, you know, you know, something on your resume that shows stability and move into your next role. Yeah. I think as I've grown older, I've learned to make work work for me. Mm-hmm. I think when I was younger, I was very much like, oh, well, I'm grateful to be here. But now it's like, no, how is this now serving me that's going to help me with my next move or my next goal or my next sort of personal development. It's that's changed right. for me now. See, that's the, that, that's a perk of being 35. There we go. You see, see that? <laughs> I want to ask, what does success look like to you now going forward? That's a really good question. You know, I, I have some some personal goals uh, in life, uh, separate of, of, of professionally, um, right? So it's not like a big title per se or uh, maybe maybe a big salary might be part of it. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be nice. It hasn't gone away. Um, But I think success for me is really operating in a space where I am thriving in every aspect of my life, where I have a successful career that affords me autonomy of my time to be able to do more of the things that I love and generate more success as a result of doing the things that I love. So finding a place where that purpose-driven work that I spoke about earlier is is creating opportunity for me to continue to excel professionally and monetarily. But then at the same time, having the freedom to to continue to expand um, you know, spiritually, culturally, and and engage my family and friends in, in dynamic and meaningful ways. That's lovely. That's beautiful. Thank you. Before we just wrap up, in the spirit of, you know, sharing stories, and you've highlighted so many people that have helped you in your journey so far. I just wanted to see if you were to shout out one person, it might be really difficult. I know you've got many, many important, amazing and successful friends in your network, but if you could shout out one person who the listeners should go and check out or, you know, that you think is an example of really thriving in success um, after 30, and it could be in any area of their lives, personally or professionally, who would that person be? Wow. That's a huge, (laughs) huge question. Immediately, I was going to say my mother, Pamela Dolores Pittman, but then you started to ask all kinds of, add different uh, caveats. I'm like, okay, well, you probably can't go follow her, but she's a rock star. Um, So let's see. Um, I have so many. I don't have just one, honestly. There's no one person. The reason why I say I can't pick one is for this very reason. And this is important for your listeners. There is no one right way to get to this. Mm. There's no one right way to get to this. Everyone has their journey and what is ordained for you is ordained for you. What got Barack Obama to his space and even Michelle Obama are two completely different journeys. What got Michelle Obama, I mean, uh, Oprah Winfrey to her space, Kamala Harris, let's just use her right now. Yeah. Completely different journeys, right? Steve Stout, Jay-Z, Heath Klingscales, Sean Combs, Lynn Burnett, Dia Sims. I, I, I literally could just run the game. Bozema St. John. I love her. I mean, her story is so serendipitous. Her career path has been so serendipitous serendipitous and magical and it's just it's ordained it has to be it's ordained it is this is her story this is her path and god is placing her on her path so there's no one person that i could speak to that would sum up this one thing that i that i look to as inspiration it's just so many different things i think the one thing that all of these people have in common is they are attuned to their path and they are walking their walk intentionally and this book that i wrote is for me 
at least my contribution to helping people to learn how to do that. And just walking in your own purpose and being your best self in every aspect of your life and every iteration to develop into the next greatest self. And then you ultimately will become one of these greats that, that you want me to pit signal out and <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> that is like the best response. So I think, yeah, you completely bossed that question for sure. <laughs> So on your book, where can people go to get it? Because you've spoken so many gems right now. I'm just like, yeah, this needs to be in any woman's possession who is thinking about the next phase of their life and want, you know, that inspiration and that motivation. Well, I thank you for that. And I actually am starting to reread the book myself because it does inspire me from time to time. It feels like there's one you keep picking back up, isn't it, at different points? Oh, Absolutely. And it's my own story. And I'm like, oh, girl, I'm glad you told me that. I forgot about that. Right. That's what I should do. (laughs) Human nature is hilarious. Uh, But yeah, you to answer your question, your listeners can find the book on Amazon.com. If you just simply type in Erica, E-R-I-C-K-A Pittman, P-I-T-T-M-A-N, the book should pop up. But the name of the title is What Mommy, M-O-M-M-Y, never told you. Brilliant. And then where can people follow you? Not in a really creepy way, but just to, you know, follow your journey. Of course. No, uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Erica, E-R-I-C-K-A-M, as in Michelle. Michelle. Yeah. Michelle. I love that we've got that in common. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So cute. Pittman, P-I-T-T-M-A-N. So if you just type in my full name with my middle initial, which is M, you'll find me on Instagram and Twitter. And LinkedIn as well. (laughs) Thank you so much. You've been brilliant. I could talk to you for much longer, but we have things to do and and goals to be met. Exactly. (laughs) But that was brilliant and really insightful. So thank you and all the best. Thank you. Same to you. Thanks for listening. For more inspo and to carry on the conversation, follow us on Instagram at successafter30podcast. And don't forget to use that as a hashtag too. Until the next time, bye.